Vinarg this, which is welcome in Cornish. Cornish. I'm getting into some pretty interesting languages here. So welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and host of the podcast, and I'm really excited to bring this second episode to you with the fantastic Matt Thorne, an esteemed author and critic from across the pond in England, who has written a number of novels for uh, adults and uh, three books for kids as well. He's also been a film critic and a book reviewer and also doing reviews of television programs for, as he put it, almost all of the newspapers in England. So he has really been doing quite a variety of writing over the course of his lifetime. And we go into that in this episode where he kind of got that start. I mean, he could probably know from when he was a youngster in Bristol when he was spending so much time writing instead of doing some of the other things that some of the other kids may have been doing and actually doing things very similar to how I was doing them when I was a kid. I remember a summer when I spent almost an entire summer in my room writing a book. And I remember my brother thinking I was absolutely crazy and probably worrying about me because I wasn't going to the beach every day, which we would normally have been doing. But instead, I was just sitting in there and writing. And uh, so I'm really found a very cool connection with Matt uh, as we talked about all of his time as a youth and it got into some emotional stuff here for me too thinking about how his dad and his relationship was and how his dad had to work around certain life experiences to continue to parent Matt and his sister in their young and not even teenage years throughout. So very interesting conversation here that that really touches on a lot of things about being a parent, being a dad, and being a son. So let's get right into it. Here is my daddy conversation with Matt Thorne. Uh, so here we are with Matt Thorne for this episode of Daddy Unscripted. Matt is an author and a critic uh, who is across the pond, as they would say, in the United Kingdom. And Matt is an author of three children's books, six uh, novels for the grown-ups, <laughs> and as well as a critic uh, do you do most of your critic work? Uh, is that online on different sites or is it uh, for no, no, print it, as well? Yes, yeah, for print and for radio. I do um, re- reviews for various newspapers. Uh, in fact, most of the British newspapers I've reviewed for at one time or other. And I also do reviews for Radio 4 over here, um, the main one of the big radio stations. I review films and books and TV programs and whatever they ask me to, to, to review. Ah, right, cool. You are basically... British dream me in a way. Is that weird? <laughs> that nice. might be the weirdest <laughs> no, thing. No, no. <laughs> Not at all. No, it's nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you can find Matt on Twitter. I'll, we'll say this at the end again, but uh, if you want to like pause this recording and do a little quick research uh, on Twitter, he is eight minutes idle. That's the number eight. Uh, minutes idle and you can uh, see some of his stuff on there as well as be able to catch links to some of the some of the things that he is doing and has done in the past as well but matt thank you very much for taking some time out of your weekend no problem i'm very much looking forward to it so you have two children yes that's right yeah two boys okay the one thing i would say i think is maybe interesting is that i have a sister and my wife has a brother and neither of us have siblings of the same sex. Ah. So I don't know what it's like to have a brother. You know, I've never had a brother. Mm-hmm. And it was quite interesting to me. I always thought I would have, for some reason, I thought I would have daughters, would have would have girls. So it was quite a surprise to me to have two boys. But I do absolutely love it. And I do. And it's very interesting. But it's a whole dynamic I, I didn't see. You know, I know how to, how you know, how brothers and sisters behave together. And I know how uh, it feels to be an older sibling. Um, but when I look at my young son and I look at the way that he behaves with his older sibling, 
I just see that that's a completely different worldview, you know, and I kind of mm-hmm. see how, why other people behave. I understand other people a lot more now, I think, when I find out that they're either the old, youngest child or the oldest child. Because I, I just think being the youngest child, you're you're constantly fighting, you know, like for everything, you know. I mean, it, right. not, not not our love, not the parents' love and attention, but just, you know, you have a sense that your brother, you, the reality, your brother's always there to sort of elbow you out, out of the way or eat your food or make you do that, you know, it's sort of, yeah. it's quite, it's something that I didn't, you know, didn't really experience until I had children. That is interesting. I, I think there's something to that. And I think a lot of times we don't really think about that very much when we are dealing with other adults, but knowing, and obviously it's a generalization of sorts potentially that you're getting into, but knowing what somebody else's uh, sibling background is might be a very good insight for us to understanding how somebody can potentially react to certain things based upon from their childhood. Absolutely. And I, and I do think sort of having a having a, a sibling of the same sex sort of help, helps you in, in lots of ways as well. I mean, I think it sort of gives you a, a, a way of behaving with other men. You know, it's sort of, it's something mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily get just from your dad, you know, or just from your friends. You know, that actual, the process of living in a house with another guy and that sort of behavior is quite, you know, watching my sons sort of amuse each other and that, that kind of humor, you know, and it's sort of something that I, that I've seen from other, you know, other people and adults, you know, and kind of re- realize that's something that I kind of missed out on in a way, you know, it's not something yeah. that, I, that I experienced. Yeah. So let's go back first into your family and parental history. And like I always say, if that means going back to your grandfather or great grandfather or whatnot, um, have at it. But tell us a little bit about the history of your dad. Okay. Well, I'm not from noble stock at all. You know, I really, uh, uh, <laughs> you I, just sound I, it. Uh, <laughs> only, it's only the accent, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the reality. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I haven't really gone into the genealogy of it particularly because my, my dad is absolutely adamantly not interested in genealogy. It's something he, he, and he very, you know, he's in his seventies now and he, he's just turned 17. He, He's got other relations and friends who, you know, who who get into genealogy when they retire, and he he really hates it. You know, it's just something he's not interested in. But the yeah. only thing I've really got out of him is that that we started out as a family coming from Goat Alley, which was the uh, yeah. one of the roughest streets in Bristol in the West Country, where I'm from originally. And uh, I, I don't know whether you had to have a goat to live there, or whether you know there was a goat that lived there, whatever there was. But it was it was a synonym for rough life you know rough rough living so i'm i'm uh, two or three generations back i i'm from goat alley um but my dad's dad uh was quite interesting he he was an engineer and uh he he was in the papers a lot recently i mean he's not he's, he died a long time ago but there was a they released some health and safety photographs of times gone by when there when there wasn't really any health or safety and uh, there <laughs> pictures of him on the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which was one of his embarred Kingdom Brunel, the great engineer, one of his big suspension bridges in Bristol. And my grandfather put the lights on that bridge. And there was this picture. It was on the front of all the uh, all the newspapers on the same day because they just released all these. But they found all these pictures in the archive. Uh, and it was my grandfather sitting on top uh, of a bridge, you know, hundreds of miles in the air with a pint in one, a pint of beer in one hand, a cigarette in the other, a sandwich in front of him, no harness or safety net or anything that you would expect. And they were like, how things have changed in the last, you know, 100 years or whatever, you know. So that was his that was his big claim to fame was that he put lights on the Clifton Suspension Bridge. That's um, awesome. Yeah, no, and he, I, I got on really well with my grandfather. He was quite a difficult character in lots of ways because um, his wife died when my father was 12. And and he was a real romantic, and he and he had this thing that he said he wouldn't go out with anyone else because he only wanted one woman waiting for him in heaven. Mm. And you know he was, he was quite a you know, romantic guy, but he but he was also quite a hard guy. You know he drank a lot and he smoked a lot, and was quite tough and not particularly loving. And I think my dad had quite a hard time with him. But then when I was a kid, I used to used to go and stay with him when I was ill from school. I'd go and stay with him and he would go to the library he had a very he had a very sort of regimented day he'd go to the library and he'd buy a lot of crime thrillers and then he'd come back and he'd watch daytime tv there was a daytime television show called crown court which was a bit like televised trials except it was fictionalized they take real trials and then they fictionalize them and it was mm. a, it was on every day 
So it was a great treat. Uh, and my sister hated all this. And so he, and she was always crying. And he would he would say to her, stop grizzling, which was a sort of colloquialism for crying. Whereas I would absolutely love, you know, I'd go there, buy me a donut, a comic, a book, and we'd sit and watch the crime shows. And, uh, you know, and I just really, uh, you know, yeah, I found him a great, great company. But he was quite puritanical. I think that's quite partly why my dad didn't really get on with him. And my dad was always sort of doing rebellious things. I mean, not they're not that rebellious but they like buying a motorbike and hiding it in a cupboard and taking it apart or um or, or, or buying a guitar you know he, he really wanted to be a musician or boxing and he, he would he would be doing these adventures and my my grandfather who was quite down after the after the death of his wife um was very particular you know he just didn't really want any sort of liveliness around him and hated people being very lively and i was quite happy to to not be lively and to sit there and, mm-hmm. and just draw and write and read and watch tv and it was you know it was it was a sort of idyllic for me and i got on i think of all of my relations he's the one that i sort of got on with the best so yeah that was my grandfather and then my father yeah we get on we get on pretty well i mean he he uh I mean, I think he had. I mean, he he had a very difficult childhood, as I say, because his mother had died when he was he was twelve, and I think that hit him very hard. Was he an only child, or yeah, no, he was an only okay. child, and he got around it by having lots of pets. He had all these pets, and they all of their names because his name was David, so he gave all of his pets uh, names starting with D. So he had Donald the tortoise, and and Derek the hedgehog, and and Douglas the dog, and all that. You know. So he was, and and he was constantly coming up with ways of entertaining entertaining himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, he started out working in uh, as a teacher. He went to teach training college, and then pretty early on, around the time of my birth, my mother was concerned that the teacher's salary wouldn't be enough. She wasn't working at the time; wouldn't be enough to support the whole family. So he went to work for Rolls Royce. Hmm. And uh, while he was there, they were told that they were going to be starting to use more electronics and computing. And at the time, computers, you know, it was long before home computers. And so he was given a test to see if he would be any good at this. And he'd always liked maths. And and he was a natural. You know, he really liked computing. So they started him off as a computer programmer. And he then moved from Rolls-Royce into insurance and uh, worked for various insurance companies as a systems analyst. So he was really into computer. And in fact, it's weird. In, in our family, he's much more technically minded than anyone else he's retired recently but in before that he was teaching at a what used to be called a technical college but he was teaching computing and quite advanced computing and programming so he's always been interested in technology and and when we were younger he would have a a, a friend at work who was even more into all more into the sort of personal computing stuff and so he would get like the apple II or the early atari and would buy all the games and then he'd get bored of it and then give it to my dad so my dad would come home with these computers and hundreds mm-hmm. of games and we would sit and, and and play all these games and i think my sister got quite into it and she does websites and, and things like that, but I, I didn't really, I wasn't really that into it. It was odd. I, I, I sort of liked the games a bit and I did a little bit of early programming. I sort of sat there making sort of, you know, sort of fantasy games where you would, you know, press N to go North or whatever, but I, but I didn't map it out. So when you pressed N to go North or S to go South, you went somewhere completely different every time. So the games didn't really make any sense. <laughs> but that was, I think that was the beginning of me thinking of starting to write was a combination of drawing comics and doing computer programming. And that started me thinking about alternative worlds. And, and I mean, I don't really write. I mean, I'm, my children's fiction has some fantasy elements, but my, my main fiction is sort of literary fiction. So it doesn't really have that, but it, but it does have the sense of creating characters and creating worlds and i just did that obsessively for ages was sort of drawing comics and teaching myself to to learn narrative and write and writing these computer games but then i started to just read a lot of books and i went to to eventually got into cambridge university over here um and that was a real revelation to me because you know i'd gone to a school which really wasn't very interested in educating people and you know was very it wasn't a particularly good school but off the back of that, I became a very independent learner and I spent a lot of time just reading everything. You know, I just was just really interested in, in contemporary fiction. And, uh, and then I went to, when I went to university, they were, they were like, you know, I mean, the university, Cambridge university library is one of the three main copyright libraries in the UK. So it has absolutely everything that's published. Mm. 
right back to the beginning of time, you know, and so you, or, you know, I'm exaggerating, but only slightly, and you can get it all out and you can look at anything, you know, I mean, you can really, you know, so I just, I spent most of my time at university just, just reading, you know, trying to catch up because I hadn't had a, uh, you know, particularly good education, um, but I was fascinated and I loved, loved reading lots of stuff. And, you know, and then off the, off the back of that, after I finished at Cambridge, I went and did a creative writing emlet in St. Andrews in Scotland. Uh, and I was so naive, I didn't actually realise, because my director of studies at Cambridge told me that St. Andrews had a beach, and I was picturing Baywatch, you know, and the reality, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, geography has never been a strong point of mine. Uh, you know, the reality <laughs> is it's the coldest beach you've ever been on in your life, and it is, you know, zero degrees all the year round, and the sea's frozen, and it snows, and it's horrible. And I spent a year there, and it was just so cold that all I did was stay inside and, and, and write this novel. And it and it was useful in a way, because then I you know, I got published pretty early on. I sold my first short story at 22, and my first mm-hmm. novel came out at 23. And it pretty much gave me a career. I mean, I managed to make a living purely from a writing from 98 to about 2005. And then I started to do a bit of university teaching after that to, to sort of make ends meet i mean i could have carried on just about making a living from the writing but the as it it started to take me longer to do things like the the prince book took me seven years so when you work out what i got i mean i got a good advance for that book but when it's spread over seven years it's not a you know it's not quite uh, enough of a salary yeah so you know so i had to do a bit of, of teaching alongside the writing but you know even that all of that came from the books as well so so it was really uh you know that that early being locked in a room writing really sort of helped me set me up for for life really and did you did you not write any of the children's books until you had your kids no very much the opposite i i wrote oh. them i wrote them before i had children and it was a complete mistake because i <laughs> just didn't understand what boys were like and it was that the books are aimed at 9 to 12 year old girls mm-hmm. but i kind of thought it'd be 9 to 12 year old girls and boys you know, the sort of have a literary interest or, you know, a, a sort of more gentle boys, I guess, in, in some ways. And I didn't realize that no boys are like that, you know, and you can be the most intelligent <laughs> nine-year-old in the world and you still want to read about people hitting each other with swords and fighting and clobbering each other. And and, and I'd written three novels that were set in the future, but were essentially realistic and were quite densely, you know, sort of, I mean, they were based on Castiglione's Book of the Courtier, the Renaissance sort of uh, manners guide. So they're about children learning how to behave. And all mm-hmm. the children in the book, they all live in different castles and they travel to these castles. And nobody knows what else, what else is out there in the world because it's after a, you know, a disaster in the future. And they've turned to, returned to more of a kind of rural way of life. And there's a lot of suspense in the books and there's a lot of scary moments, but there, there isn't much swordplay or fighting or you know or monsters or any of the things that, that boys like so uh-huh. my children have read them but they're not particularly excited about them and they don't they don't really talk about them very much um, <laughs> so it's sort of it was a moment that kind of i'm proud of the books but i don't i don't know what i was thinking to be honest i just uh, i'd finished <laughs> i'd finished a novel that was really hard to write and then i just had this i was listening to a to a neil young album uh, hawks and doves which at that point hadn't been released on cd so i was listening to a kind of unofficial version of, of that and there's a song on there that is, it's about crosby stills nash and young and it has this a, a metaphorical description then it has this rider riding at the arriving at a castle and I just saw this vision in my mind of this kind of remembering the college system at university where they they almost are like little little castles and mm-hmm. and then combining that with Renaissance remembering reading Renaissance literature and combined with a kind of slightly sort of fantasy element and trying to think how can I get all of those ingredients into one and I wrote all three books in one mad binge it, it took me about three months wow and i uh, but i mean i didn't sleep and i was sending them to friends at the time going you know is this is this any good is this crazy and i went to see a children's book agent and she said you know this is exactly what because they're quite prescriptive with the rules for children's book but they said this hits it exactly you know it's exactly the right length it, the chapter's the right length it's you know it, it's got everything that, that children's publishers are looking for so i sold it quite quickly it was all quite happened quite easily and it was you know it was a reasonable amount of money and it all you know it all went quite well and the first book sold really really well but then we decided to do the second and or they, the publisher decided to do the second and third one in quite quick succession and mm. i don't think there was enough time for the audience to i think if we kept going and we'd done six of them maybe an audience would have picked up but it was one of those things where the deal was for three books. I'd written the three books. I was waiting around for 18 months to see how they would do, to see if I'd write another three. 
and they didn't do quite well enough for me to to carry on doing them. So they kind of, and and mm. the only thing I'm depressed about or disappointed about in the experience was that I was so convinced I'd get at least another three to finish off the story that the the last line of the third one is this is not the end, which I should have maybe known at the time <laughs> was was a hostage to fortune. But I, you know, it's sort of I had a good plan for what was going to happen in four, five, and six. So I was disappointed that I didn't get to do that. But. Um, you know, I just had an, um, I had an amazing vision <laughs> of you going around at least England and finding all of those <laughs> copies of the third book and opening them up and crossing out the word not yeah, yeah. in each of the books and just angrily traveling around the country to find all of them. This is the end. Yeah. That's a good idea. I think I should do that. Yeah, no, I, I could see myself. <laughs> but that, that's one of the things that nobody tells you about writing kids' books is that unless you're J.K. Rowling, you know, or, or somebody of almost that size – a lot of children's writing is bit sort of like being a surrogate teacher, you know, because you, mm-hmm. you you know they don't. There's a bit of promotion, but not that much promotion because you know, as with a lot of books, it's word of mouth. But particularly with kids' books, it's going to schools, it's giving a talk, and then selling your books afterwards. And you know, and you're watching all the kids come up, and there's one kid who hasn't got enough money, and you know, you just feel guilty all the time. Or I did with mm-hmm. it, you know, I just didn't feel it was what I wanted to do so i didn't really i didn't follow that up i didn't write any more children's books you know i i I just felt like okay that was it that 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 was it for the for me for that field i went back to write another adult book and then i wrote the prince books and i don't think i would do it again because i don't as i say i I kind of i know what kids like now Mm -hmm. but i don't really like those books i don't really like reading them. sort of you know i mean i don't mind reading them aloud to i like reading to my children i like you know but i you know it's sort of i don't really yeah, what I was trying to get in this book was the sort of thing I remembered from children's books when I was a child, and I think mm-hmm. they've now changed so much. Yeah, and dramatically. Kids, yeah, yeah, and modern kids are so you know they're, they're so different that I you know I, it doesn't make sense for me to do that anymore. Yeah, the change of imagination alone in in a chi- in youth is. I mean, what technology and immediate gratification has done to that for kids is an immense subject. I mean, that's something that definitely you could really, really delve into Mm -hmm. because it's just it's so much different from I mean, you and I aren't that much different in age. But, you know, what we would take from reading a book and now from i mean there's the heavy hitters obviously if you're reading a harry potter book you've mm-hmm. probably seen the movie mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and or you're like pausing your reading to watch some of it in the movie or whatever and you've your uh, imagination has been so tainted and overridden by what you're able to obtain i mean i just saw what was the movie oh we just saw boss baby yesterday oh yeah i saw that i saw that yeah oh yeah and saw the preview for uh what is it captain underpants yeah 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 did you guys get that trailer in it as well yeah yeah. Yeah. my kids love that book which mike maybe my son will he's four so maybe he will get into it later but i know that's a humongous book series that um now is getting its treatment and it seems like there's a lot of those i mean goosebumps finally did their movie and yeah yeah no i mean i see them all you know because i mean i love the cinema but it's weird i have to force my children to see these films i made them go and see the, the smurfs with me they didn't want to see the smurfs mm-hmm. uh, i mean probably rightly so <laughs> i made <laughs> but boss baby they were my my youngest son wanted to see boss baby so that was we, we were in agreement on that but I, I was in berlin last week and um i made them go and see the power rangers film with me very much against their will and it's not you know and it's and it but film isn't doesn't mean like when i was a kid i loved going to the cinema in fact i loved it so much i got a job when i was about 12 reviewing films for the local radio station again it was something really? this informative thing that and i managed to sneak in to review the the manager like me and the the radio station didn't know how old i was so i got to review all the films you know the r-rated what uh. the equivalent of r-rated all of them you know so i saw every i was seeing four or five films a week in my teenage wow. years but I, but my kids just don't really want to go to the cinema. I mean, occasionally, a film will pop up on their radar that they're they're interested in. But they would much rather stay at home and play video games, or you know, or, or do various other things, or play yeah. on their phones, and they than they would go to the cinema and 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 watch a movie. And it, you know, I mean, because I, I remember having this big argument with my dad one time where I'd gone to see Roman Polanski's Pirates, 
and it was so I thought it was so terrible, but I didn't want to mm-hmm. I did I didn't want to say that to my dad that it was terrible because I we went to see a film once a month and it was a big deal for him as well and, it, and I could tell he wanted to to be nice to me and taking me to the film and then later on he saw me filling out a survey for Time Out magazine about no venue magazine which was the Bristol equivalent of Time Out and it was what was the worst film you saw all year and I wrote down Pirates <laughs> and my dad was like I thought you loved that film you were really excited and I, and I said to him, Look, well the thing was that I was so worried about hurting your feelings because I thought maybe you wouldn't take me again you know if you if you if I didn't like that film and this after this he took me to the cinema every week instead of every month because you know I was saying that you know I you know, if I didn't like a film I then had a month to wait before the next one and I didn't yeah. get to see a lot of the films that I wanted to see so you know so that from then on you know from my childhood onwards you know I was seeing at least a film a week sometimes four or five and now you know I mean I, I don't get to go to the I still I go to music to concerts two or three times a week but I, I don't get to go mm-hmm. to the, the cinema anywhere near as you know, much as I used to. And it's one of the things that's sort of fallen by the wayside a little bit. So I desperately look at the kids' films thinking, which ones am I going to, you know, which one's going to have enough kind of nourishment? Mm-hmm. I went to see the Maze Runner 2, the, or the Maze Runner, the Scorched Trials, without seeing the first one. And my son had seen the first one and read all the books. And I was like, there's no mazes. They're not running. I don't understand what the Scorched <laughs> Trials are. And he was going, oh, Dad, you know, if you'd seen the first one, you'd understand this. And, and part of me was enjoying watching this thing that was baffling. But equally, at the same time, I was thinking, some of this stuff is really just dreadful. You know, <laughs> it's really, yeah, yeah. it's beyond, you know, it's not just sort of, you know, there's the first level of, of you know, like, I mean, I, I'm not a massive Hunger Games fan, but I know people who are obsessive about the Hunger Games, and I can, like adults, yeah. and I can see why people do it. But then some of the second level sort of knockoffs of that just seems to be such a strange world where, you know, it's, the, it's I mean, it's a bit like when I'm teaching students how to do creative writing, and, the, and, and they're watching this kind of stuff and then coming back and then, and they go, well, it's like this book. And I'm thinking, well, yes, it is, but I don't, it's not good. <laughs> so, so, yeah. How old are your boys, by the way? They are eight and 11. Okay. My oldest is eight and my youngest is four. So I've, I've got a, a little bit to, for them to grow till I'm at kind of your boys comprehension level. So it's a much different grouping that I'm dealing with than right, the yeah, yeah. eleven and eight. Yeah, yeah, I guess sure. I, yeah. No, it's weird. I mean, it's sort of there's just enough of a distance for them. I mean, we were hoping that all the competitiveness wouldn't be there, but it's some of it's there. But there's just enough of a distance between them for them to to sort of for the older one to sort of look after the younger one up to a point. You know. Mm-hmm. So what is the what is the age gap between you and your sister, and between your wife and her brother? Um, me and my sister, it's 18 months. I always get this, sorry, sorry, 21 months between my sister and I. I always get the three ran the wrong way. No, 21. Almost two years, yeah. Almost two years, yeah. And your dad, you're saying, just turned 70. So yeah. he was about almost in his 30s when he had you. Yeah, I think he was exactly 30. Doing that as quick math. He was exactly 30. Yeah, I'm impressed. He was exactly 30 when he had my sister. Okay. I think is that okay? Right? Yes. So yeah, yeah. So and then because I can we can always remember it by that, that their birthdays they have the the zero the big birthdays in the same year. And so you are fairly close to following suit exactly with your kids doing even more fast math. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It was around about the same time. So how similar do you kind of see your relationship or how you relate to? even just at the beginning, maybe with your firstborn as to how things were between you and your dad. Um, without wanting to offend him, I don't know if he'll listen to this and I may do, okay. <laughs> but I, 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 and I don't mean this in a horrible way, but I almost tried to do the exact opposite that my dad did with me. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But not because, not because he was a terrible father or he's a terrible father, you know, and also my, I should add that my my parents divorced when I was twelve, I think, and, and and but they were sort of on the rocks from eight onwards. Mm. And my dad raised me. You know, my mum went off, and I, you know, so my I didn't see my much of my mother, and, and so he raised me and my sister. Okay, quick questions before you get too deep in that. Did your dad remarry? No, no, no. He had various girlfriends, and and he's got a girlfriend now, but he's ne- he never he didn't want to remarry. He was always sort of against the idea of it. Okay, so so an- another kind of parallel then of the working your way up to your grandfather then yeah yeah no it's around the same sort of time age and everything yeah okay. yeah yeah and and we would talk about that sometimes about you know the fact that 
he literally didn't have a mother from from that period and i didn't see much of my mother you know when the, the sort of mm-hmm. differences between uh, between that but to go back to to sort of justify what i mean about being different my dad was i think he would say that his dad was hard and he he wasn't hard mm-hmm. but i felt that i didn't get much approval but i don't think that was necessarily a case of um him wanting to be critical or wanting to be, you know, being, I think he would feel that he was quite loving Mm -hmm. and I don't think he was unloving. It's just that I don't think I really understood that he felt that way about me. You know, I, I think I, you know, I just sort of, I mean, I, I think my father and I were so sort of different in our interests Mm -hmm. that it wasn't, I mean, well also, you know, it was also sort of like the generational change. Like, like my dad was, you know, like every weekend my dad would do, DIY, you know, I mean, that was a big thing at the time, you know, so he would, he would be doing, uh, you know, odd jobs around the house, you know, he would be making, uh, I don't know, you know, doing bits and pieces, you know, and the, and the thing, and even when we were going to the cinema, the thing was that like, I had to wait till he'd finished whatever jobs he was doing to go to the cinema, you know, and I sit there waiting, thinking, oh, you know, I hope he finishes the job. And if he didn't finish the job, we wouldn't get to go, you know, and that was quite depressing. So part of mm-hmm. me was thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to do that with my kids, you know, weekends, I'm going to say, you know, you know, I'm there for you. What do you want to do? You know, you know, we'll do whatever you want. You know, I'll take you to the cinema or the rest of it. And of course, then they don't want to go to the cinema. So, you know, it's, it's that sort of thing that they'll probably grow up thinking, oh, dad was always trying to make us go and see these terrible films at the cinema because, you know, that was what I, I wanted, you know, and felt I didn't have until he, he, you know, I mean, and I really wanted my dad to, to play games with me. You know, I really wanted him to play snooker and pool and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So I play a lot of game board games and things with my kids and, and the rest of it. But then, you know, but then a lot of the time they'll want to hang out with their friends, or you know, they'll they'll you know, or, or they'll, the, the technology is different. So they want to play the computer games with the headsets on, talking to other other people. You know, so it's that sort of right. thing of you know, I I'm sure I will be just I will fit, have the, just as much resentment. I'm sure aimed at aimed at me, even though I. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind wow. of like, I, well, no, I don't mean that in a terrible way. I mean, I don't, you know, I know, no, I know. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, I, yeah. I conscientiously try to be as good a dad as I could possibly be. But I think my dad probably did too. It's just that it was a different right. way of doing it. Was it a different you know? circumstance too, yeah. And, yeah, and a different era, you know. So it was sort of, you know, it's kind of, I would just gabble on all the time at my dad about stuff, you know, and I could tell a lot of the time he wasn't lift, listening or drifting off. And I remember mm. thinking, you know, I'm not going to be like that with my children i'm really going to try and listen to what they're saying and then but you know it's like you're walking along and your child's much smaller than you and you you know and you can't hear exactly what they're saying and you keep stopping and listening to and you're thinking maybe he's sitting there thinking you know i'm saying this stuff that's really important and dad's not hearing it and right you know it's sort of it's not a conscious deliberate thing and i think also that you know it was tricky with having a sibling that was a sister because you know there were lots of things about keeping her happy and doing things that she wanted to do and it was you know sort of it was much more of a difference you know the, the two boys most of the time want to do the same thing you know it's fairly easy mm-hmm. to negotiate them into doing the same thing whereas me and my sister would want to do completely opposite things you know so it was more and my mum would want to do something different again when she was there you know and my dad would have uh lots of other things that he that would be on his mind so it was you know it was i don't know it's it's it's, it's I suppose when i say i'm doing trying to do the opposite it's like not that i feel like he was a bad father but i i feel that i remember keenly resentment you know i mean like things that annoyed me as a child and i think you know i don't want my children to experience that Mm -hmm. but then i realize that i've upset them in some other way (laughs) you know because you you know do you know what i mean it's sort of like you 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 you, i think that's part of being a dad isn't it that you know that you you have these arguments or differences or whatever and you work through them you know that that it's very i mean and that's something that i have kind of learned through being a, a dad that i didn't as a son or a brother because you know, I would just retreat to my room and and write. You know, I, I wouldn't bother. And I think it was quite weird for, for my, I mean, my mum writes occasional stuff. She writes business books and things like that. But I think for my dad, I think he just thought it was a bit strange. And I, mm-hmm. I remember one time we went on holiday and there was a competition to uh, to to write a horror story or something in a magazine. And I, and I said to my dad, you know, well, why don't you and I both do it? And then we'll both enter and see if either has, has any luck, you know. And he was sort of interested for a moment and he sat down and tried to start writing a, a horror story and, you know, and he wrote half a page and, and, and gave up because it wasn't his thing, you know, it wasn't his his thing. And then I sit down and write a whole story and I'd look at him and go, well, why haven't you, where's your story? You know, and, it, and you know, and it's sort of, <laughs> it's weird, you know, and, and, 
and I don't, you know, I don't do that with my kids, and I don't expect them to have the same interests, and I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I mean, and it, and and it's really, I mean, as you as you know, doing anything sort of creative or any you know, anything where you're you're sort of trying to create something and put it in the world is is pretty tough, you know, and it takes time and it takes dedication and and it's. But when you're a son, you're thinking, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care if anyone needs me particularly right now. You know, I want to go in and write this this story, and then, but then as a that i mean i know some writers of the sort of previous generation who just shut the door and ignored their i mean men and women you know who you know closed the door and just wrote their books and that was what they were doing and and i've very much always had an open door policy with my children you know that they can get me whenever i want and and also you know that i'm not writing all the time you know i've I've sort of stopped right i mean before i had children i'd be writing seven days a week you know all the way around the clock and now i'm not you know i i, I sort of you know i stopped to have family time mm-hmm. or when they get home from school or whatever you know uh and um and you know and i think that's that's one of those things that's quite different you know quite with my generation all the all the novelists that i know and i know quite a lot of novelists all sort of slowed down when they had particularly the men more than the men the women most of the women actually sort of managed to keep going at the same at roughly the same speed but the the men I think slowed down quite a lot. I think that you know it's just sort of you you can. When I was I was working on a book and um, when my son was very small, and you know I was writing quite a dark scene or you know a depressing bit, and then it, he would crawl in or whatever you know, and then you stop and play with your son, and you can't go back to the dark space that you were right, yeah. you know you have to start writing something different or or not writing at all or writing. I mean, and that's why I pretty much well not. I mean, I I had the deal for the Prince book before my son was born, but I. I mean, that's why I focused more on that then, because it was easier to write nonfiction and it sort of was easier to sit in my office listening to music and, and thinking about that than it was to, to sort of wrench, you know, psychological depth out of, your, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of your soul, you know, and then be a dad, you know. Yeah, and why the writing that you're doing as a critic and whatnot right now is probably much easier to kind of jump in and jump out as well. Yeah. And also then the film, you know, I was working on this, this film of eight minutes idol, my second novel, but it came out much later on as a film. And the thing about that was that the, uh, that it was, there were lots of drafts. I mean, I started out co-writing it, but towards the end I was, I was doing quite a lot of the lion's sort of share of it. And it was much more a case of, right. Okay. So it's three days of intense work and then you hand it in and then you have to wait two weeks till all the, producers and everybody reads it and the actors read it and all the rest of it you know so it it fits in with the schedule a lot easier i mean the thing about a novel is that it just sucks up all of your time and attention mm-hmm. whereas film work or tv work or criticism or you know or, or non-fiction it's easy to get in and out of you know you can have this process of you know leaving your desk and and not thinking about it for the rest of the day whereas your brain when you're writing a novel you're you're always trying to solve problems all the time and you finish the day and you're absolutely physically whacked in a way that you're not with, I mean, it might be hard to come up with funny dialogue or to deal with notes or the rest of it, but it's just not the same, you know, it's not the same kind of all consuming thing that a, that a novel is. I had a friend, uh, sorry, I had a female friend who, uh, who said, uh, uh, a child is worth two novels. You know, that was the way she, 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 so she had three children and she had three novels and it was like, you know, so, and I think that's that uh, each child I think takes away two novels, but they're novels that you're happy to give up. I think, you know, so, unless you're a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So do you think that you will ever kind of delve back into that side of work, especially when your kids are older or do you think that you've kind of had your romance with that? No, I mean, uh, uh, the next thing that I've got coming out, which is this Project High, is a novel, but it's a, it's, it, well, it's an app, rather. It's this thing called Ulipo. It's this new app. And, um, you, it, well, it's a novel plus, basically. You know, you get the novel and you also get film and music and you can choose bit, you, you know, there has, there's a degree. It's not entirely, choosing different narratives but you can there are bits of it where you can follow one particular narrative strand or not follow another particular narrative strand uh much more of a kind of multimedia project and mm. i kind of wanted to do that i mean they came to me and they you know it's an interesting company an interesting startup and i thought it would be interesting to try and do that and it looks i've just seen the first chapter of 10 which they've done and you can see that that's on the itunes if you download the ulipo app you can see the first chapter there the rest is yet to, to come i think it's coming mid-april but that's a novel, you know, I mean, it's a different novel in the sense that it's not a print novel and it probably won't be because I wrote it to have 
images with it, you know, so, so there's less description that, than you would have in a novel because a bit of film comes up and you see the characters or you, you know, you uh, read their emails or, you know, or their messages or whatever, you know, so, and it takes, and it uses your, utilizes the technology of your, your phone. But I was doing that as a kind of a soft return to, to novel writing, really. So, uh, yeah, so there'll be another novel, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't decided next whether it will be, I've got an idea for another music book about lots of artists, not focusing on one artist like I did with the Prince. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm working on a couple of TV programs at the moment. And yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'm always working on lots of different things. So, so I mean, it's which one sort of forces its way to the to the forefront. But uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, I'm definitely not done with the novel. I just, I, I've had quite a, a sort of mixed period over the last sort of 10 years where I've gone from, you know, I wrote six novels in six years. I wrote three children's books in very quick succession. And then I wrote, the Prince book over a long time and, I'd, and the film took a long time, you know, and the two, and those sort of coincided as well. So that, I mean, like, you know, as you know, with films, it's sort of, you know, there's like two or three months where they're actually shooting, but the development takes a long, you know, is, is two or three years uh, leading up to that. So there are all these overlapping projects and I really enjoyed working on the film. And I, you know, so part of me just liked getting out, not being locked in the office anymore, you know, and going out and, and, and I mean, and also that was easy with kids as well, because, you know, you're you're actually sitting on a set and people need you, you know, so you, you, you're not, you know, there's a justification that you can't necessarily make if you're just sitting at home all day writing. Right. So I don't really know, I haven't really decided quite what the next project is at this exact moment, but I know there are four or five possibilities. I mean, one of the TV things I'm working on, if that gets the green light, I'll be working on that and that will take all my time. If that comes to an end i'll probably look at this music book and and i think i'll probably be writing the music book and the novel next novel simultaneously but we'll see i mean it's hard you know i i used to feel very clear it was like i mean in fact when i was a kid i made a list of my new year's resolutions and they were write a first novel by this point a second novel by that point a third novel you know and and you know and i did it you know that was all what i did but then after a certain point it, it, you know you just think well okay well i could just keep writing novels but I sort of feel like I want to try different things now as well. You know, I, I like, I like mm-hmm. the, I, I really, I mean, the thing I loved about working on a film was hearing actors do your dialogue mm-hmm. and just, cause the novel was, I wrote the novel, the novel that was turned into a film. I wrote it when I was 23, 24. And then by the time the film came out, I was in my late thirties. Oh, wow. Yeah. Early forties, you know, and, and, but the characters in it are all 20 somethings. So the actors were made, well, apart from a couple, but the actors were mainly 20 somethings. And they were a totally different generation, you know, and, they had, and so their their world was completely different. So the whole project was completely reinvented. But one of the things that was interesting was the, the actors saying to me, well, I wouldn't say that. And I'd say it like this, and I, you know, and being alive to those changes and, and being able, mm-hmm. having that kind of sense of your characters talking to you is a very intoxicating thing, you know, so to then go back to the uh, just creating the whole of a character is harder again. Yeah, I can imagine how big that process is especially being so many years removed from it and going back into it so long after yeah so now with your dad in Mm -hmm. his i heard you kind of catch yourself and i can imagine being 70 and having somebody saying i'm in my 70s and saying to them i'm only 70 yeah 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 (laughs) yeah no absolutely no no i know exactly what you mean and it's sort of I don't know. It's kind of like I, I I want to think of him as being in his seventies for some reason. I just sort of want to. I don't know. It's sort of weird, isn't it? I, I mean, it's. I mean, aging's an uh, an odd thing. I think. Yes. And people do it at different speeds, and it happens at different times, and all the rest of it. You know, and 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 he. I think. I think he would be somebody who would say that. You know, I'm only seventy. So what is his? How far away is he from from you? Is he still up in Bristol or? Um, no, he lives in the countryside. He lives in a place called Melksham, which is not near me at all no he lives with his girlfriend and we went we go down and visit him occasionally we went to, we went to visit him uh, a few months ago not as often as i'd like and i i think i'd mm-hmm. I'd be quite nice for him to come up more as well but it's uh i don't know it's tricky i mean it's sort of this I, this may make sense there may be an american equivalent i'm not sure quite what it is and maybe the way that people outside of new york think of new york but there's a certain difference between london and the rest of england and 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 some people not everybody but some people who live in the countryside 
hate London or, you know, or, or, or see it as, or see it as quite a sort of psychic trauma. I mean, it's similarly to the way, you know, if you lived in the countryside, going to New York for some people would probably seem like it's too fast, it's too frenetic, it's too crowded, claustrophobic, whatever, you know, and I think he feels like, yeah. like that, you know, so it's a big deal for him to, to come to London and even mm. more so for my mum. I mean, my mum hasn't been to London for years and years. So that's a factor and it and it's sort of and it's the same i think with my wife's parents as well and it, it it's although they're slightly better about it so it's yeah it's sort of weird it's kind of and it's one of those things that if you don't live in london and you come to london you can just see the the downside of it you can see the kind of the the bustle of it you know in a way that yeah uh you don't see it if you live there i mean i remember when i first came up from bristol and just going on the subway just the speed of people was mm-hmm. terrifying and also yeah. almost it was almost like you know, sort of almost like a hallucinogenic, you know, just the sort of the, just seeing people moving at such a speed in a different way of life. And then of course, once you've been here a few months, you're, you're elbowing the people aside who are taking, well, I'm not, right, but you know right. what I mean? You know, the people who are, yeah. one of these people do it, you know, cause everybody's operating at that speed Yeah, and it, and it suits me temperamentally, but uh, he's very much of a different temperament. He's much sort of slower and more methodical and, and, and not somebody who likes that fast paced way. Well, I remember when I was living out there in in Lancaster mm-hmm. and which is for those of you who aren't in the know it's in the northwest and is I mean I was at the university so it was you know I wasn't just completely out in the sticks but mm-hmm. Lancaster is not a huge town and it's not you know it's not a complete farm life either but it's it's up in the north and it's very far away from uh London and much unlike London and the couple times I did go down there, even being from Southern California where I'm not, you know, out in the sticks here either, it was quite a, you know, you took a deep breath when you got into the subway system or into yeah, yeah, the yeah. into the people system. Yeah, yeah. I mean even New York, you know, you think of as a kind of really busy metropolis, but you know, the sidewalks are, are huge in comparison to the mm-hmm. small pavements, you know, the tiny little pavements that you've got in, in London with people rushing around, you know, so it, it really is quite, uh, I can see how it can have a sort of psychic cost. on. I mean, I've heard it described as sort of like a, you know, a fairground ride that, you know, when you're on it, you're really enjoying it. But the minute you get off, you just sort of, and I feel that a bit as well when, you know, when you go to the countryside, you're just like, whoa, you know, it's, it's so. Yeah. And I've never been to New York, but I've seen, you know, I'm not, ignorant i've seen it and seen what the countryside around there countryside in quotes around there is like and i think i don't think it still would compare to the you know it's kind of like going from a cold pool to a hot jacuzzi yeah yeah and you know take getting in and like having that shock or the reverse i guess it would be more so like the reverse you yeah, have the yeah, comfort yeah. of the warm water and then jumping into the cold when you get into the big city and just like being overwhelmed by it when i took my kids we go to la occasionally and i i uh, last time i was out there with my children we were wandering around together and uh we were waiting to cross the road and uh and and this man came up to us and he said, oh, look at you two, you know, being very uh, organized about waiting for the, the light. And they had this whole conversation. And they were just really perplexed that somebody would have the time to stop and talk about the process of crossing the road. And particularly to that, you know, somebody would see some kids happily talk, have this conversation with them, you know, whereas in England, you'd have the cars tooting and you'd have everybody, mm-hmm. you know, like elbowing you. And then, you know, and if somebody, you'd think they were completely mad if they said, look at you crossing the road, you know, they would just be <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they like that, and they like that, you know. They like the kind of, you know, the kind of conversational nature of of California, and, the, and you know, and the and the kind of way that people are interested in each other, and they, they, you know, not everybody, but you know, generally, you know, there's much more of a right. kind of a, a feel of people being interested in what everyone else is is up to, which is 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 very much not the case in London. It may be in other parts of England, uh, you know, and everybody. That's what everybody, you know, says about the north. The north is much friendlier and much warmer, and you know, and you do yeah. you do have that kind of sense of people being more of a uh, a community than um, than they are elsewhere, but it, I mean places are changing. I mean, I went last week. I was in Berlin, and and you know it's such a millennial. Well, I mean, I was in East Berlin, but you know such a millennial run city. You know, and it's it, you know we go mm. for breakfast, and everybody there in the restaurant is on their phone. You know, and nobody's talking to each other at all. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, and it, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not judging about that, you know, I'm as guilty of that as anyone else, but it was, you know, it was, it, you just see how places, you know, the kind of tech technology is changing people and generations are changing people. And, you know, and, and so it's very hard to make, you know, the North of England is probably different now than it was, you know, the last time I, I went. Right. You know, yeah. so things are changing all the, all the time. And yeah, and you've got, and, you know, and, and kind of like my memory of growing up in Bristol, I mean, people say about Bristol is that everything happens there much slowly than it does in the rest of the world. And it, it is a city that runs on its own pace. And, you know, people don't, there's not that many successful people from Bristol because they can't be bothered to get around to it because they're having such a nice time, you know. And, and there, are lo- <laughs> there are lots of really great things about Bristol. Like you can you can wander around going from nightclub to nightclub and you're not being charged an extortionate amount of money because, you know, people just do that. And you go out in the city, I mean, when I would go out in Bristol as a kid, I would see virtually everyone I knew from the city on a night out. And you would never make a plan to to meet your friends because you would just meet them in the city. You'd run into them in the city centre, you know. So when I first moved to London and people would say, okay, uh, let's meet, but uh, I can't do it for three weeks ta- until three weeks' time and I can only do it at this particular period, you know. And, and now, of course, I'm like that, like everybody else. But at the time, it was like, this is such a strange way of living you know what why why don't people surely we'll see each other all in a bar tonight or mm-hmm. you know or, or the cinema or the you know art gallery or whatever but it's i mean you do bump into people in london but it's much bigger city and it's you know such more of a kind of diverse place that, and meeting people is i mean it's not as bad as la in terms of having to drive to meet people all the time you know the transport system is 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 easier yeah but there is sure. but you do have to focus on it you know you still have to sort of concentrate on getting it sorting out and do you use technology in your favor with connecting with your dad and his grandsons? I mean, are you guys able to kind of make it a little bit different than it would have been back 30 years ago with the distance between you guys? Not really, but maybe we should do more of that. I mean, my dad and sister do a lot of that, and they were keen mm-hmm. for me to sort of get involved in that. But I. I've been a bit resistant to it, really. I mean, I talk to them a lot on the phone. I talk to my, I, I tend to phone my dad every week and, and my mum every week. And we text each other every now and again. But he, he sort of, you know, often doesn't have his phone or doesn't respond or, you know, so, mm-hmm. and he's got a different phone, so he can't get the pictures and all the rest of it. So um, I don't really, I don't know, it's sort of, um, feels distant and disconnected to you yeah or? yeah i mean and he's really you know he's sort of uh he's quite into sort of skype but sort of with the camera and things like that and i always find it a bit odd you know i don't really you know like mm-hmm. i'm talking to you now on a different system and it you know it feels very relaxed and i i'm you know i'm talk- enjoying talking to you and it's a nice experience but i you know when you're looking at a picture and they're wandering off and there are other people in there and you know it just doesn't really also just to be sitting there staring at my dad for yeah <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah it's a sort of weird experience but no he loves he does love technology and i think he you know it's something maybe he would like to do more of but then again but also i don't know you know it's all it's quite i don't know the sort of fiddliness of it and all the rest of it it's not it's not uh it's weird too i mean you know the way your kids are and it sounds like they're very into technology in their own way and into their video games and whatnot and it is still different to I mean, all the connections that we make through technology, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Skype or, you know, what what have you through our phones, you know, like people say, it's kind of cliche, I guess, but it connects us all, but it also keeps us at a distance. Mm. So it is kind of both sides of that weird feel to it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm quite bad at, sort of keeping up with the, the the most current technology i mean i you know most people it seems don't really like email you know and would much rather do things on twitter or mm-hmm. you know that big transition that that took place where people stopped sort of having i mean i remember like being a, you know being a writer being at home my equivalent of kind of office banter or, or office conversation was was sort of email chains that would go on all day you know and i knew that and i would have and it would be friends with other writers and people working in offices and we'd email each other back and forth and then Suddenly, there seemed to be, and, I, and you know, and I had a few message boards with other writers and stuff. But then suddenly, everybody was on Twitter, and I didn't. I was a bit suspicious of Twitter, and I didn't really join Twitter until the film. You know, in fact, because what happened was with Amy and Saddle, they told us we had to get a, a Facebook account, which mm-hmm. was set up, but was never really used, and a Twitter account, which I eventually. And that's why it's called. That's why it's Eight Minutes Idle rather than than Matt Thorne. When we started doing it. I put my address book into it. You know, so suddenly all of my friends were on there. 
Mm. And I, you know, I was giving them updates of the film, which they eventually got a bit tired and bored of. So, that, so I transitioned eventually into a to a, a personal account. But I think if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have had a. I mean, I don't have a Facebook page or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose there's something in me that quite likes the separation of 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 the kind of public and private. You know, it's sort mm-hmm. of I'm quite happy to like I'd think of a joke, and I might text it to a friend or you know or email like four or five friends. But I wouldn't necessarily want to put the same joke up on Twitter, right? Right, and it's partly it's very different too. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. the public consumption of that. Yeah, and it's partly because I wear so many different hats. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I am a lecturer at a university, so you know, there's a kind of public part of that. You know, mm-hmm. I I am a novelist, so you know, there's there's that, and I, I'm written about prints, and there's lots of people who who follow lots of prints. Like, you know, and in fact, one of the kind of most gratifying things about Twitter is, is the sort of Prince fans that I've met through that. And, but then also there was this film, you know, and I was publicizing the film and, you know, and, and so it, it felt like I had to be quite careful about what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know. And also I feel like I've got a lot of different interests. Like, you know, I mean, I might be talking about avant-garde film or, uh, you know, I mean, I quite, the, all of the music I like that's not Prince is, is more on the kind of, free jazz or the improv or noise mm-hmm. rock uh you know sort of end of things so it's so you know talking on twitter about experimental music one and one and then talking about the boss baby or whatever you know it, it's a sort of mm-hmm. it, you know it's kind of like i know but the thing is i guess i'm just thinking about it too much because everybody does it don't they? everybody puts it but i do have some friends particularly novelist friends who are very that sort of create a brand on twitter you know they kind of right, like you right. know they have things that they talk about or things that they don't talk about yeah to fit their brand you know they're like and and i'm i'm much more of a kind of i mean i guess the thing is that i have I mean, i'm not saying this is a kind of boast or anything but just the kind of person i am you know i have very broad ra- wide-ranging tastes you know I, I like a lot of different yeah. music i like a lot of different films uh, a lot of different books and a lot of different genres you know and, and i'm very interested in kind of you know what people might consider highbrow stuff and also quite lowbrow stuff as well and i mean again i know a lot of people are not, but you know it can be quite hard to push all of that through uh, the conduit of Twitter or whatever, you know, whereas... And on the one account. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. and it's that sort of the same thing that, like, you know, you've got your friend who's into American football over here is, is very different to how it is for you. It's much more of a kind of a, for want of a better word, a kind of a, a, a kind of hipster <laughs> kind of appropriation, yeah. you know. So so I've got yeah. to, you know, but I, I don't like it for that reason. I like it because I like to take my kids to watch American football because we don't, there's not much sport they're all interested in, but we love going to watch, you know, they started doing the international series and do American football mm-hmm. games over here. And it's not, maybe it's slightly different than it would be in America because it's such entertaining spectacle for uh, buttoned up British people to be exposed to that. It's very enjoyable, you know. So, but, you know, so I'd email my friend about American football, then another friend, if I was tweeting about it, we'd be like, why on earth are you suddenly going on about America? You know, it could be, it would be the last thing in the world. <laughs> are you? Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, yeah. so it's, you know, it's sort of, maybe I think too much about that and I worry about it too much. But that, and that's sort of what's not made me want to go on. It kept me off face, Facebook as well, you know, yeah. that, that sort of. And also when I, you know, the media, the, the kind of social media world has changed very dramatically and, and, and considerably. And I think now everybody has a voice you know and that's great you know i love the fact that Mm -hmm. everybody has a voice but before that when i was writing articles you know and i might say something provocative generally not deliberately so i'm not one of those journalists who you know deliberately would write something provocative but you're not the howard stern of no no i'm not at all but i you know in fact one of the things i think i do is that i you know i'm just very honest about my tastes and the things i like or don't like but Mm -hmm. i think some people would see that you know, almost as trolling, you know, if I'm saying something that I like, you know, they would think, well, how could you possibly like that? You know, or like those two things in, in tandem. And if you write it on a, a journalism, if you write an article for the, you know, most of the papers here, now they have the, uh, the below the line comments, people get really, I oh, yeah. you know, so angry. angry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you, and you're just thinking like, well, you know, I'm glad that that's there. So you can have your voice and say, you know, but I was just doing my job of reviewing that book. And the fact that you feel completely the opposite in quite a violent way, you know, that's fine if it's on the newspaper's website and it's all good. But if it's on your own, I don't know, Facebook page or whatever, you know, it's sort of, it, it, it feels a bit invasive really, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, and I understand why people are annoyed. You know, I mean, I get annoyed if I, if I read a review and it seems completely off the money, you know I mean? But I don't really, I wouldn't really respond angrily to that. You know, I just, I just 
Right. That seems real. <laughs> Unless it's like a biopic of somebody that you love and yeah, they're yeah. like completely trashing it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How could you say that about Boss Baby? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that great. Yeah, what do you yeah, want exactly. me to say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And especially now, I mean, in the climate now, you know, it's sort of, it's such a, fervid time you know i mean it's it mm-hmm. really sort of i mean which is good and bad good i mean bad. yeah absolutely you yeah. know i mean you know totally i mean and i and i think that's great and i think protests are great and i think you know different different voices and diversity of opinion uh, you know all of those things are, are fantastic and important but there comes a point where you want to sort of stop and get on with writing or you know whatever the yeah. next thing is you know you know you can spend whole days sort of following it and, and realizing that you're not actually getting much done you know yeah and that's one of the i think almost every social media has that little uh rabbit hole that you can fall into and i think you know like you said with prince fans i think that's been one of the kind of cool things that i've seen about it is you know being able to see these people that have this footage that they probably have on vhs at their home that they're like playing and recording and putting out there. And that's kind of cool. And then seeing all the different responses that people have to it. And I've definitely made acquaintance with some very cool people based on that. And I think that that's great and that you can do that in just about any field of interest or level of interest with different people around there. And, you know, you just kind of always hope that you don't run into a troll somewhere. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's weird. I mean, I, you know, cause I, I, I find it quite moving. I mean, I genuinely, you know, I've found people that, you know, and you think, well, you, either I really respect what you're saying and I think it's really interesting and it's a different take than mine. And I'm, you know, and, and that's interesting. Or, you know, you're finding somebody who's, who's got the same feelings about something that you thought that nobody had that, that, like mm-hmm. that, or that particular period, you know, but I think, you know, the sort of rules of entry for, for this kind of conversation is that, you know, that you're respecting other people's opinions and other people's takes on it, you know, and, and, and understanding that there, there will be kind of points of commonality and there will be, you know, points that are not but uh, you know and i've never tried to set myself up as the world's authority on prince you know it's just that you know i I spent seven years thinking about him every day and 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 trying to talk to people and you know getting as much into it as i possibly could and you know and 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 there are other people that have done the set you know that but i i'm really interested in hearing other people's opinions i'm not interested in people saying that person has a stupid opinion or that person shouldn't be allowed to speak or that person, you know, or you shouldn't have said that or your book's not as good as somebody else's book or whatever, you know, it's sort of, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't really go, you know, that, that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I, I feel very proud of the work I, I put into that book and I think that, you know, I think it's of, of, of value, you know, I think it's, a, you know, a worthwhile yeah. thing to have done. Otherwise I wouldn't have done it, you know? Right. Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for, all of the time no problem at all i know it's very late there no i've i've, I've you say it's been late it's, uh, just just turned just gone one o'clock but it's i'm a night yeah. owl so it's uh, it's fine well we covered a lot i'm going to give you an opportunity to do anything for your books i mean are should people basically just look up matt thorne and amazon yeah yes? that's the best yeah yeah i mean uh if you enjoyed listening to what i what i said i, I think the two books are mine that are the best books that I've I mean most most writers will say you know uh, you can read any of them or you know or, you know they're all great or whatever but I, I I'm very aware I think that I've written of the six novels I've written I think two really work one was eight minutes idle and I think you know you could either read the book or, or watch the film you know I think they're, they're very different they're massively different the, the novel is a, a 500 page novel with lots of narrative different narrative strands the film is a 90 minute comedy which takes one of those strands mm. but i think that that's worthwhile and then i wrote another novel called cherry which was long listed for the man booker prize over here which is the big literary award and that's probably mm. the, the the book of mine that that was most acclaimed and those are the two where i think it worked and i think it i mean it's partly because it was the period of my life where everything you know you can you can really want to write a good novel and everything in your life just isn't allowing you to do that and then sometimes you know everything just goes right and those are the two i think where yeah. everything just just went right for me and what was what was that app how do you spell oh, yeah, that uh, thing that you were yeah, talking sure. about that coincides uh, with yeah Hi. so it's this is a new thing it's uh an app it's not spelled as you might imagine as it, it's spelled o o 
O-O-L-I-P-O. So it's Ulipo, but with two O's rather than O-U. So O-O-L-I-P-O. You can download that from iTunes. and uh, it's, on, it's on iPhone. I don't think it's on Android yet, but an Android version is coming. Uh, and then if you download that, there's some other novels there as well. And mine is called High. And at the moment, the first chapter is up there, and you can read that for free. And then I think round about mid-April, the other nine chapters will appear and you can buy them uh, an in-app purchase is not very expensive but that's the, that's the next thing i'm i uh, i literally just downloaded the app so it was successful right yes. on an on an iphone i will uh, specify Great. so and also you can again find matt on twitter at eight minutes idle yeah just with the number up at the front. Sincerely, thank you so much. Th- this was awesome. No problem. I really enjoyed it. It was good fun. I, uh, I had a very good evening. Yeah, likewise. And truly, you are living my British <laughs> life. So, well, you're, you're you're living in LA, so that you know that trumps everything. I think. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I would trade places <laughs> with you. And uh, thank you so much, Matt. I I had a great time recording with you. No problem. Great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. And there it is, the end of the second episode of myself speaking with the fantabulous Matt Thorne from England. Matt Thorne, again, you can find him at 8 Minutes Idol, that's the number 8, on Twitter. And you can find all of his books and such on Amazon. Matt Thorne, it's with an E at the end. Make sure you check that out. Matt, again, what a tremendous experience having this conversation with you. I genuinely appreciate your generosity of your time on a weekend night so late on your side of the world to have that conversation with me, to be able to share it with all of these fantastic people. I hope you all got a lot out of that. I really enjoyed this conversation. So if you want to leave me a note and let me know what you thought about it, you can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Again, make sure that you check out the website. There is some extra writings and some photos there at www.daddyunscripted.com that pertain to this episode. So you can look at those while you are listening to the other episode. If you didn't already listen to it, shame on you. Our episode that normally would follow this episode, I kind of did it in the reverse fashion because of the content and because of it falling so rightfully in time with the anniversary of the death of Prince. So you can check that out. That is the episode before this one with myself and Matt. You can find everything for Daddy Unscripted on social media as Daddy Unscripted. What do you know? You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. You can also drop me a line at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Let me know some other guests you would like me to have a conversation with. I keep getting some fantastic ideas for other guests, and the way that this uh, road has kind of gone throughout the course of this year is really exciting to me and is really starting to pick up some steam from the audience. So I really appreciate you guys giving some input. Keep that up. Again, you can send that to daddyunscripted at gmail.com. I want to also thank Umphreys McGee for the use of their music in all of the Daddy Unscripted podcast episodes. And specifically, I will assure you, all music in this podcast episode is by Umphreys McGee. So anything you're hearing in the background... And during the intro and outro, that is all Umphreys McGee and so good. So thanks again to that band for being so gracious in letting me use their music in the podcast. And stay tuned for the next episode. I have my gear all over the place for um, special remote guests in different parts of the country. So I can't really tell you who that will be, but keep your eye out for the next episode. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks a lot, you guys.